there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. I think that if there was ever a good time for this sort of thing to happen, or at least a, a less terrible time, it's now. This is Alison Bowden, CEO of the porn website kink.com. Because a lot of performers have already kind of made the move to these fan sites, like OnlyFans, ManyVids, things like that. So they're pretty used to kind of making their own content, kind of managing a fan base individually. So they were kind of prepared. They had something ready. So what we've actually done is ask performers to shoot from home for us, which is what's happening in a lot of the big studios right now. How does that work, though? Like, I mean, it sounds like the guidelines are shoot only at home and only with partners who live at home with you. I mean, how common is it that you have basically the cast of what would be a porn film living at home with you? (laughs) It's not tremendously common. But I think in the porn industry, especially when you're talking about couples, I think it's a lot more common for people to date within the industry just because it's so hard to find a civilian who's sort of okay with your lifestyle. And a lot of companies are okay with people doing solo content by themselves. There's no question that it's much, much harder to shoot at home. I mean, we're already talking to performers who are saying like, I'm actually just really tired of, actually just getting tired of screwing themselves. Like it's really, it's hard, it's hard work to do and they're getting a decent amount of work. Huh, people getting tired of screwing themselves. (laughs) I mean, that's probably a universal feeling uh, across the country (laughs) in some respects. Hi, welcome to Six Feet Apart. I'm Alex Wagner. The COVID-19 pandemic is messing with our minds and our wallets and our souls. So what's it doing to our sexual appetites? More specifically, what's it doing to the people and industries who cater to those sexual appetites? How do sex workers operate when everyone has to stay six feet apart from everyone else? How exactly does the porn industry make porn in a season of social distancing? It seems tricky. Now that we're spending all this time at home, is sex the first thing on our minds or is it the last? And what kind of fantasies do people have in the middle of a dystopian nightmare? I have a lot of questions. So that is what we're talking about today, sex. And just a warning to all of our listeners out there, it is going to get graphic. If you have kids around, put the headphones on. First, we're going to speak with Jay Lee, a non-binary BDSM dominatrix. They are also an advocate for sex workers, and they do this work through the Sharma's Outlaw Advocacy and Rights Institute, or the SOAR Institute. And then we're going to speak with Lotus Lane, an adult film star who also does work with the Free Speech Coalition. That's the trade association of the adult entertainment industry. 
First, here's Jay Lee. There are a lot of people who don't know anything about BDSM and sort of how it works. Maybe you can just kind of walk me through, you know, what your day or your night was like or, you know, whenever you saw more of your clients, just to give us a sense of of just kind of how the process works and the kind of experience people are looking for in terms of BDSM. BDSM is is a very interesting form of um, play. It could be a lot of different things depending upon the people who are actually doing the playing. But overwhelmingly, people will come to me to experience um, sensations, psychological stimulation, intimacy, connection, um, depending upon the type, types of services I offer, my specialties um, with certain implements or role play scenarios. Um, so I like to explain it like this. You would come to an escort to get your desires fulfilled you come to me to get them creatively denied. So, Jaylee, tell me about your work as a dominatrix before the pandemic began. Before the pandemic began, well, I, um, I'm an in-person provider, so I do sex work overwhelmingly in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been historically my flavor of sex work. Um, so mm-hmm. for me, it's been overwhelmingly devastating, um, moving from, uh, working, you know, full time, you know, as, as a dominatrix and a fetish wrestler to, to nothing. I mean, it's been obliterated for me. If I, if I think of BDSM and I think, you know, laymen and lay women, uh, such as myself, think of it as a very touch-based sexual practice, if you will. And it's, it's interesting that you see the online space as a natural area for BDSM to happen. But I would assume that people would want to be very much in person for that exchange. Well, that that's a common kind of assumption that it is touch-based. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It really depends on the type of fetishes that are being explored by the two people that are engaging in it. Overwhelmingly, um, BDSM happens between your ears first, mm. right? So we're, we're psychologically based, which is why it's so easy to translate these things online. Um, you know, a lot of the dominant submissive relationship is predicated on this idea of giving directives. So that's very easy to translate over the phone. Right. Um, but a lot of us like myself, uh, you know, who value, um, a person being able to see, feel, um, the vibe of a person in the room, obviously Mm -hmm. it's something like 90% of of uh communication is nonverbal. I can look at their body, I can see the way that they're reacting. But you know, a lot it is touch base if we're using implements, right? Yeah. But a lot of folks can use those implements on themselves. They have access to them. You know, as as my friend says, everything is a dildo if you're brave enough. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know? that's something my friends don't usually say, but we travel in different <laughs> circles. People get very creative, particularly when they are in these uh, kind of situations that we find ourselves in now where, you know, they're looking around and seeing their limited access to things outside. I mean, a lot of uh, BDSM is sensation based. So we're removing one sensation or one sense to heighten the others. That's why you would remove someone's ability to see is that they would also have their sense of hearing be increased and their sense of touch if you desire to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can very easily translate to online work. I mean, I, 
there are times when I, I don't actually physically touch a person, but I am in the room with them. And so for me, that's what's been difficult, not right. being able to observe their bodily responses, their breath, uh, their physical responses, and being able to, you know, to move from there because it's very much a dance, you know, and I have to be able to observe those things. Let, let's talk a little bit about your work specifically in terms of the pandemic. So w- when, when the news started breaking about this virus... At what point did you make the decision not to see clients in person anymore? Do you remember when that was? Well, my dungeon shut down. Okay. So I rent spaces, right? So I rent uh, physical spaces that are, you know, thematic in nature. It's the reason why people come to dungeons is they want to be immersed in that experience. You know, they want to physically be in a room that looks like a dungeon. Mm-hmm. The dungeon that I that I work with shut down. So was there a discussion amongst other people who worked in the dungeon and the and the purveyors and like was there I mean I guess within your network was there a discussion of like okay we're all going to have to go online how much sort of um crosstalk was there about what this meant for the industry on whole I think some people saw the writing on the wall I think a few of us had you know have been moving in that direction to try to prepare um but I I think that there's also you know denial ain't just a river in Egypt, right? It's easy to be able to to look at something and say it's not that bad. You know, we're doing the best that we can. And I think people, you know, in my space were trying to do damage control and and not contribute to panic, because that panic obviously could translate into to how they also talk to their to to all of our clients, right? You know, we're a very kind of like old, well-established dungeon. It's not uh, it's not seedy. You know, a lot of the clients hang out with you know managers. We we joke around. So there were conversations of like, well, what is this going to look like? Are y'all going to be closing down? You know, and I think that for a while we tried to stave it off, but it, yeah, it was it came it came very suddenly. You know, um, like most people. So. so you had there's like an open line of communication between clients and professionals in all of this because my I guess my my second question was kind of to what degree were clients bringing it up? You know, how much exchange of um, you know concern was there between clients and the BDSM community? It sounds like that was a pretty free flowing conversation, at least at your dungeon. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think, you know, that the, the great thing about sex workers that we, is that we've been practicing harm reduction for a lot longer than the general population, right? Harm reduction principles are what we're doing right now. Six feet, the name of your, your podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, having latex gloves, Lord have mercy. I mean, I had a stockpile before this thing came through. This is HIV harm reduction 101, right? So, STI, uh, HIV, these kinds of things, sex workers have been practicing for a hell of a lot longer than the general public. I mean, we are experts in harm reduction. We're experts in consent because we do it for our, our living. You have a kind of a specific career path. Like what what are the options if you have been a sex worker, you've been making a fair, a decent living or enough to, you know, like survive on in a city like New York City? What do you do? Online, actually. Is it as lucrative? online? No, definitely not. Um, not if you're on the lower echelons. I mean, you know, you have some people that are bragging about like all the money that they make online, but they've, they've amassed a following. It's a, it's the akin of, to someone on Instagram, 
you know, being an influencer. They just happen to be doing it through sex work. But the rest of us are, you know, we're eking out livings on the lower end of things. And remember that when more people go into a market, it does destigmatize the market, but it also oversaturates the market. Mm -hmm. So for people who were being able to make their full-time living doing online work, they're now competing with folks that are going to be doing it at a, a lower rate. Right. So because we create our own market, there is no standardized market of sex work because it's so broad. That is also largely tied into the market itself. And if the market is demanding different aspects and you, you know, you, you lower your rates accordingly. So yeah, I mean, people are hustling, they're doing whatever they can, but yeah, it's not, it's not better than in-person work. Certainly not. And you also have less control over your content. Remember when it's on the internet, it's there forever. It's one of the reasons why I don't do it online is because I like to have more control over my sessions. Mm -hmm. You can't control if somebody's taking a screenshot and it used to be that we could monetize those pictures. Now you go on Instagram and people give them away for free, which is great, fine, wonderful, <laughs> sex positive, do you. But that's stuff that we used to make money off of that we can't make money off of now because they can get so much of it for free. I feel like sex workers have a particular insight into the psychology of a nation, right? And this pandemic's taking such an emotional, psychological toll on us as Americans. Have you seen an, uh, the pandemic affecting uh, clients and what they want? Yes, definitely. I mean, starting from the clients that I used to see in person that reached out to me to do stuff online, the requests have changed dramatically. The requests are much more sexual in nature. They're more direct, um, which for some people is fine. But for me, when someone's asking me to do things uh, that are uh, a higher sexual risk, potentially, um, in terms of like, you know, they could record it, whatever the case, but they're also offering me the same amount that I used to get for not doing those things. Yeah, that's a market shift. Hmm. Right. And so again, it's like getting more for paying less. Well, how do you read that? The, the increased appetite for more explicitly sexual content? What do you, what do you think that reflects in terms of your client's emotional, uh, state of mind? Accessibility. Um, I think stress is another one. I think when people are stressed out, they have uh, less patience. Um, our world is predicated on patience. BDSM world is predicated on tension and inaccessibility to the thing that you want. That is the tension. That's the that's part of the sexual gratification for many people who engage in BDSM is the journey itself. The fact that they can't have those things, right? And some people would call that foreplay. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I think a lot of people right now, um, you know, when they're living in front of their screens 24-7, they can have access to the things that they want all the time, right? And they are at home to be able to do so in a private way to some degree, right? So again, people, some have families and stuff. But yeah, I think there's a, the accessibility is the biggest thing. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that more people are doing sex work and more people are hungry for sexuality. I think that's great, you know, but it does come with with problems for some of us and, um, you know, answers for others. I, I, I guess I wonder, you know, about BDSM's suitability to this, this moment because the moment itself, yes, we're, there's more accessibility in terms of screens, but so much of this moment, you know, we're, irrespective of the, whether you're looking for BDSM or not, is about denial and repression. And, and it just seems like, you know, does that dampen the market? for sex workers who are offering that that tension around denial 
You know, I, I guess I wonder if it's it's, it's a great question. <laughs> you know, I, I'm on my path towards research. So I think that's a, actually a great research question there, Alex. <laughs> you know, is this is having a kickback effect wherein we're saturated with so much denial and so much that it's actually going to be problematic? I mean, that's a really great question. I don't know that I have the answer for that. I think it's too new to tell. Um, I think, you know, I can definitely say that for, for those of us who are mask fetishists, we finally feel a little justified in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are definitely creating new and innovative ways to, to find people and things erotic, right? Um, because we're all walking around as mask fetishists in New York City. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You are someone, I mean, I think I probably, more than most, it, uh, you're dealing with the psychology of of people <laughs> in a really hands-on <laughs> way, you know, whether or not it's actually hands-on. But you, you, you're very much dealing with people in, in like incredibly intimate space. Yes. And I would assume that your own psychology is affected by experiences you have in the dungeon and elsewhere. How have you dealt with this moment, this extraordinary, strange moment of isolation? Um you know, that, get- that is actually an amazing question. I'm, I wasn't expecting you to ask it, but I'm glad that you did because it's been a journey of self-discovery for me the last two months. Um, I'm a person who lives with chronic pain. And so for me, I didn't realize that part of the appeal for me to be doing in-person sex work was actually pain management. Mm. And that's been a big um, like breakthrough for me. And I do have clients that are mobility impaired. I'm really passionate about sex work and the intersection of disability but I also, you know, didn't realize how much those sessions were really helping me deal with my physical pain because obviously dopamine, endorphins, these are really good, happy hormones and, and chemicals that are shooting through our body when we're engaging in BDSM and sexuality. So even as a practitioner, the, the hardest thing for me during this isolation time was finding new ways to, to manage my pain and to really feel connected because I adore my clients. I really do. I've worked very hard to curate clients that I adore and that are, are great and respectful and, and, and there's honor there. And so it's not just one way. I mean, people think about sex workers in a one-dimensional way. They don't think about the gratification that some of us get from our clients as well. Um, and for me, that pain management, that joy, those happy chemicals rushing through my body all the time, uh, I've missed that. You know, my mother is a psychotherapist or was at, at, um, when I was younger. And I remember when I told her that I, I was a professional dom- dominatrix, a sex worker, her response was, okay, honey, watch your serotonin levels. So, you know, so that, that was kind of my introduction to sex work is, you know, understanding, you know, how much that it does can, it can affect your mood, right. And your overall mental health and, and physical health. And certainly those things have to be managed like anything else so that you don't use it as a, you know, an addictive way or in a problematic way. But for me, I just have really, in, in, um, you know, missed that, missed having all those like hyped up great feelings after a badass session. And, and so I have translated that into naked private dance parties. Yeah, well, we're all doing what we can. 
you're you're <laughs> dealing with it in a much more interesting way than I think a lot of us. <laughs> Jay Lee, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights. And I mean, maybe naked dance parties are really that's the secret. That's the secret for all of us <laughs> until this lockdown, until this pandemic recedes. Um, may your serotonin levels and your dopamine levels be where they need to be for the foreseeable future. Thank thank you for your time. And yours as well, Alex. Thank you for having me. Before we get to Lotus Lane, it is time for a quick word from our sponsors. If you're looking to avoid trips to the grocery store, switch up your quarantine meals, all of the above, now is a great time to check out Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door, and they have great recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient with everything pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from, so you can try mouthwatering dishes such as hoisan strip steak with lettuce cups and pickled daikon and carrots, roasted salmon with miso-glazed eggplant, black bean tostadas diablo with cabbage law and guacamole, and plenty more. It's simple and easy and there are no gotchas, plus their facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. They're reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and are increasing sanitation and frequency in their distribution centers in order to keep you and your family safe. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash apart and enter promo code apart at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash A-P-A-R-T and enter promo code apart at checkout for $35 off your order. sunbasket.com slash apart. All of us are at home trying to avoid crowds in any way that we can right now. But what if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry. Stamps.com is here to help. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety of your home. Simply use your computer to print out official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, and any class of mail anywhere that you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. Zero human contact is required. It's truly that simple. And now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62%. Right now, our listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in six feet. That's stamps.com, enter six feet. Six Feet Apart is brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, what interferes with your happiness, guys? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp could be the answer. It will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient, and you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. This is not self-help, it's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely 
and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room where you're not allowed to go anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's a broad range of expertise available with BetterHelp, which may not be locally available to you or in some areas. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in Depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma are there for you. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials that are posted daily on their site. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you're welcome. You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com apart. That's betterhelp.com apart. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash apart. In a new podcast from the architect of the Affordable Care Act and frequent MSNBC contributor Dr. Zeke Emanuel, Making the Call explores the codes of ethics that are the backbone of modern medicine and are being put to the test by COVID-19. Dr. Emanuel is a current contributor to the New York Times, as well as coronavirus advisor to Vice President Joe Biden's presidential campaign. With co-host Dr. Jonathan Moreno, Making the Call explores the human dimensions of the pandemic and answers key questions like, how do we decide who gets a ventilator and when there's a vaccine, who will get it first? Listen every Wednesday where you get your podcast as they show us what it means to be the ones making the There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. And now here's adult film star Lotus Lane. Lotus, if you could tell me about your work before the pandemic became our national reality. Well, before... Everything suddenly changed. Uh, my work at Free Speech Coalition um, was focused on the community, the adult industry community at large and enhancing everybody's um, information and knowledge and resources and, and mental health. I do a lot of fetish BDSM kink work. So that was something that was... Um, scheduled for me. I was going to do a bisexual male threesome. Um, so I was really excited for that. Were people starting to talk about the virus? Do you remember when it first got on your radar? Yeah, I do. Because I also do production assisting. Um, I was doing PA for um, a Playboy shoot. And one of the models on the shoot with me was asking me, she was like, what? Because she knows I work at Free Speech Coalition, which we are the organization that, you know, mm -hmm. helps identify yeah. uh, inform the industry about everything. Um, she was asking me, she was like, well, what should I do? You know, I have these three shoots lined up. Should I cancel them? I feel nervous. I don't know what I should do. I don't want my agent mad at me. And I was just telling her, I was like, you know, I don't think your agent will be mad at you for looking out for your health. And if you are, and if they are, they're not a good agent. So I was kind of advising her. I was like, yes, if this is the way you personally feel, I would personally you know, cancel my shoots. But if you feel fine, you know, nothing's been said then because this was still early March. 
yeah. um, before March 15th. And, and at what point, I mean, did you start thinking about it in terms of your own vulnerability? Because you're on photo shoots, you're in film shoots. I mean, you guys are, you're intimately up close with one another. Did you think that the shoots might go on with protective equipment? I mean, because that is actually sort of part of the porn industry is testing and protective equipment. True, um, right. Do you think because of that, you guys sort of thought about this virus differently than maybe other workers? Um, possibly because one of the things that, that people, you know, we realize as well is that we already are taking, um, risk with our work, yeah. even out with before coronavirus, we know that we're in a job that has risks, you know, even though we're testing, you know, there's always variables. Um, but for the most part, and I could say, my experience, I've never contracted anything on set. So I know that our testing system does work. Mm -hmm. um, as far as myself, when I started being concerned because I had a shoot booked on March 25th, it started kind of going in my head when I had this other girl on the Playboy set giving me her worries and doubts. And I was like, hmm. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to take a plane to this. And that was my main, my main concern was the airplane, right. because that's the thing is we know how to mitigate risk. Mm. We, we know how You're to like in the porn world, we're all good. It's yeah, all we know how to mitigate fluids and transfer of fluids and, and particles and we deal with it. Um, when this all went down, um, this other set that I PA'd on, um, all of my current, um, masks that I have and hand um, gloves all came from that set. Wow. What do you mean masks? Why do you need masks? They just had them on set. Oh, there's a lot of fluids and stuff flying around there, you know. Not every So wait, wait, wait. People wear masks on set just to protect themselves from the fluids that are flying around um, they're uh, as a normal course of business. They're available for people that may want them. Not everyone does, but if maybe like if you know you're shooting a squirt scene and you don't want someone squirt on you because you're just a behind the scenes person. Right. We have that available on hand. We're not barbarians like people would like to assume the industry is. We do protect ourselves. We do look out for ourselves. There's a reason we are alive and healthy as we are. Because otherwise, right. if it was the way people assume, you'd be hearing about people dying left and right in the industry from disease and infections and whatnot. But that's not the case. I, I, I want to ask you about how you think this pandemic is affecting sort of American sexual appetite, you know, as someone wow. who's, you it know, is, you, you're working in the- horny. <laughs> What's that? Making us horny. Um, <laughs> is I, it? I, or is it making us depressed? That and maybe, you know, sex is an outlet for the depression. Hmm. You know, um, it could go both ways. But I know that for, for instance, my subscription sites, um, my numbers jumped in March and April. I looked and I made the most I've ever made. Even more than I thought that was the most that I ever made. <laughs> when before. you when you talk about your subscription sites, give us a sense of what you, what you mean. Um, it's like kind of like a social media feed, similar to like an Instagram or Twitter, but they pay to to subscribe and follow you. What is your pandemic schedule? What is your day? <laughs> um, I wake up. I'll smoke some weed. I'll 
eat some breakfast. I'll probably go online and like edit some pictures. I'll definitely, the first thing I'll do is upload some pictures to OnlyFans or a video that I might have already had stored the, the um, previous days before. Or if I don't, I'll just take some really quick, like, you know, fresh out of bed boob selfies or butt selfies or a quick video masturbating. And then, then I start going on with my day, doing my updates to my regular social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. And then from there, I answer like uh, emails and correspondence messages on the subscription sites. And then from there, I can fuck around and do whatever I want. <laughs> wow. I'm, you're so connected. You're, you're churning out a lot of content. You're, very, you're just very on top of your game in the middle of a pandemic. Well, thank you. I'm trying to be. I'm a one-woman show. You know, many people are lucky to have partners built into their household so they can be a cameraman or stunt cock or whatever they call it. And I don't have that. So I, I definitely have to be creative. You know, you're someone that is on shoots. You were going to shoot a threesome. So you're obviously used to shooting with partners. Oh, yeah. You know, as an actor, as a performer, is it does it get does it get old always having to deal with yourself? Oh, well, yeah, I always say that's that's hard is the hardest part is just fucking myself because um, like the reality of how people masturbate is not the way people want to see people masturbate. So I'm gonna just leave it at that. <laughs> but so, but but I would assume you like are constantly having to sort of reinvent the wheel every time, right? Like that just seems like yeah. how that it. No, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in ways. Um, but it's funny because um, fans, God bless them, men especially, um, they can make a story out of a pinky toe. So right. all I have to do is like look at something that maybe a fan has said or a random I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just do that. They can make so up a fantasy out of anything. Hmm. Out of so many things. So there, even when I feel burned out, like there's nothing left I can create or do. Someone will say something, you know, barbershop POV JOI fantasy. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I could do that. <laughs> that's so specific yeah that's what i mean and i'm like i would have never thought about that but of course this dude getting his hair you know cut by some hot girl would imagine her you know giving him jerk off instruction in his ear of course <laughs> j-o-i jerk yeah, off instruction the stuff you learn when you do a podcast like this yes <laughs> <laughs> so you're in california and it seems like we are entering a new stage of this pandemic where things are beginning to start opening up a little bit do yeah. you foresee a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of being able to go back to set anytime soon oh yeah i see a light at the end of the tunnel um we're already you know convening a covid19 task force within the FSC of how we're going to reopen the industry and how what the protocols are going to look like now. And we're asking mm. of performers, crew members, producers and agents that are going to be liable if something were to occur, you know, because everyone has different stakes in this. So we need to hear from the different stakeholders. And that's the next step in um, the process here. So yeah, I definitely see a light at the end of the tunnel. We're getting there. I think a lot of the impression that people have, whether rightly or wrongly, is that the porn industry op operates sort of on the fringes, that they're bigger risk takers than most. Are you confident that the protocols that they put in place will be sufficient to keep people safe and healthy? Or do you think there's going to be some pushback because some people are going to be want to be more aggressive than others? Well, I definitely think that there's going to be people that are ready to work right now um, and feel like we're ready to work right now with what we have going on, whatever 
protocols we can put in place now. And there's definitely going to be people that are like, we want to wait for an antibody test or a vaccine and we can't Mm -hmm. do anything until then. As far as what outsiders think of the industry um, and our our general risk taking, um, well, yeah, we are risk takers, but so are bungee jumpers. So are skydivers. They don't just jump the fuck out of the plane without parachutes and protocols and safety in place. They know what they're doing, just like we know what we're doing. We're not just diving in a pussy without like testing and making sure people have wipes and, you know, alcohol and cleanliness on set. Yeah, it's that's it's that basic. People think the most ridiculous. Not thing just about- diving into pussy without gloves. There right. you go. I mean, that's basically it right there. Yeah. What about in terms of performances? Is there anything you're really looking forward to getting back to? Any aspect of um, film that you're particularly missing? Yeah, I I really I really wish I would have taken advantage, done more orgies. I want to do more just full on orgies. I mean, I bet there are a lot of Americans thinking the same thing and they're not even in the industry. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just more of that like damn I, I i slept on some opportunities i was stupid i'm sorry porn gods i repent <laughs> i will do my best to fulfill every orgy desire you place in front of me <laughs> well lotus we hope that there are many many orgies in your future thank you for for telling us about uh you know an industry a lot of us don't know nearly enough about even though there is a lot of consumption of the products of your industry thank you for your time and thoughts yeah thank you too for your time that's all for this episode of six feet apart our show is produced by elisa gutierrez and lyra smith Lyra Smith is our story editor. Our executive producer is Sarah Geismer. Special thanks to Allison Falzetta, Stephen Hoffman, and Sydney Rapp. Special thanks this week to Melissa Brodo and Gina Nemirovsky. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.